1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance of the USA Wealth Group. It's time to get your finances in order. MoneyWise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MoneyWise. And welcome to Ray Lance at USA Wealth Group. And welcome and good morning to attorney Tenny Lance. Good morning, Tenny. Good morning, everyone. Well, today is 11 four no 11 yeah it's 11 four isn't it the fourth month yes april 11 2021 so isn't it amazing we're now into april already and springtime and flowers and beautiful trees and all those kinds of things that i love that's a good way to look at it so michael j fox the actor once said family is not an important thing it's the only thing it and it is. really is. It doesn't it matter is. how big or how small your family is. I guess the most important thing is, are you protecting your family? Are you taking care of your family? That's really all that matters in the end, doesn't That's it? That's what we always talk about. Yep. So today we're going to be talking about some issues pertaining to, well, what are some of the interesting ways that you might decide to use the home equity in your house? Or... Maybe there's some basic rules about IRA funds that you might want to know about that I think are kind of important. And we're also going to talk about some of the basics of estate planning and why it's important to have a will or a trust and a durable power of attorney and all those kinds of things. Because in the end, if you really don't have those things, then you're not able to protect your family, are you, Tenny? Well, it would be much more complicated Uh, Much more time required and more expensive. That's right. So our goal is always to work with you to do something that will be helpful to your and your family and make a difference in your life. So when you talk about what your goals are, hopefully number one goal is to take care of your family, most importantly, always. So as we begin today, Tenny, um, I'd like to start by telling everybody that on Wednesday, April 21, we're going to be doing our large full-scale seminars at Whites of Westport in Westport, Mass., uh, Wednesday, April 21st, from 12 to 2 and from 6 to 8. But the seminars probably won't last quite that long, will they? No, they'll be more like an hour in length with some time for questions. But this is really a big deal for us because we have not done seminars for the past year. We are being very careful about the way we do these. And we know that people are missing the information that we're going to be providing. Um, and they're, they're anxious to learn the things that we will be talking about. So we're very excited about doing these seminars again. Yep, it's been 15 months since we've done that. So right now, your presenters at the seminar will be Attorney Tenny Lance. It'll be myself, Ray Lance. Possibly our son, Pete Lance, might be involved in it. All three of us have been fully vaccinated. We've always taken precautions. We're hoping that as many people as possible who come to this seminar will have already been uh, vaccinated as well. But the good news is that everybody who's there will be wearing a mask, except for the immediate presenters, of course, because we need to be heard. And the other thing that we're doing is we're going to be in the largest ballroom at Whites of Westport. So the rooms are very large. They're going to be spread far apart um, as far as the seating is concerned. If you do want to make a reservation, you must make a call to 508-998-8800, or you can call USA Wealth Group at 508-998-8858. So make a call, make a reservation. We'd love to see you. And for the 12 o'clock meeting, we are going to be serving lunch. It's going to be a box lunch, all prepared and complete. You won't have to go through a line. You won't have to be served. It's going to be just very quick and very easy for you to have your own lunch there. And the evening we'll be serving um, various hors d'oeuvres and things of that nature. Things that can be um, can be safely served. Yep, so exactly. we are very observant of the uh, requirements of the CDC and 
as Ray said, we are going to be spacing people at social distances, um, and we'll have the equipment there to allow everyone to be heard. Um, we, we're just very glad to be able to be back to this. Yep, and we're going to talk a little bit this morning about some IRA points and things for people to know about. I think it's always true that the earliest you can put money aside for retirement accounts, the better off you're going to be when it comes to actual retirement. And you can, uh, we'll talk about how much you can, contrib- can contribute in just a minute. But some of the best places you can put money, if you're just starting out, then you might think in terms of um, a mutual fund, perhaps. You might open up an account with Pete Lance. Give him a call at 508-998-8858. He's fully licensed for securities, mutual funds, stocks, and bonds. Um, you can also put money, depending upon your age and the amount that you want to put in, uh, you can put money into things like annuities and accounts which have guaranteed principal to them. You can put money in a bank account if you're just getting started, and then when you accumulate a certain amount of money, maybe then it's a good time to move it over into a better kind of investment that will make more money for you. The other thing you can do is you can put money into an account that, for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it like a robo-advisor or an automatic contribution, have money withheld from your pay at work to contribute to a 401k account or an IRA account. These are all good things to do that make it a little easier. We're more than happy to have a private appointment with you and show you how you can do those kinds of things. So, again, just give us a call. Well, but we, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, we know that it's possible now to be, be making contributions for the year 2021. Something that I'm not sure on, and I'm not certain if you know the answer to this, Ray, but if you have not filed your taxes yet for 2020, and that is extended until, what, May 17th, I believe? It's extended until May 17th for the time to file your tax return but you still need to try to make your contributions to an IRA for 2020 by April 15th. That was going to be my question because I knew that the filing date for returns was extended, but I didn't know if they also extended the time that you can make sort of in the past contributions back for 2020. No, and that's an interesting idea because sometimes people have a fair amount of money that they would like to put aside and... There's two things to think about. One is how much money can you contribute into a retirement account? And specifically, I'm going to talk a little bit first about IRAs. But then do you get to deduct it or not? So those are two different questions entirely. So if you have a traditional IRA and you want to put money in, you can actually put in money right now both for the year 2020 as well as for the year 2021. But only for four more days, right? For 2020? It's, it's, a sh- it's a very short time for 2020. And the amount you can contribute for 2020 is $6,000 unless you're 50 years of age or older. And if you're, more than, if you're 50 or older, you can contribute up to $7,000. If you're younger than 50, you can only contribute $6,000. Uh, for a person over 50, it's designed so you can do some catch-up work. So why would somebody want to do this for both 2020 and 2021? Well, for one thing, if you do it for 2020, you, you can possibly get a tax deduction to offset against your income. So you're doing two things if you do it for 2020. One, you get a deduction for 2020, as long as you haven't filed your income tax return yet. And two, you're putting aside more money for taxes. There's a third limitation, and that's very simple. The amount you can contribute into an IRA account is limited to your taxable income. So if you only made $3,000 worth of income, you can't put $6,000, for example, into an IRA. Hmm. So the limit that you can contribute... This is not to do with tax deductions. The the amount you can contribute 
is going to always be limited to um, $6,000 if you're under the age of 50 or the amount of your taxable income, whichever is lower. Again, we're happy to give you advice if you give us a call, 508-998-8858. And again, if you're 50 years of age or older, um, by the end of this year, the amount you can contribute is $7,000. So the rules can be complicated. People get confused by them often. And the next question they ask a lot is, all right, so if I put money into an IRA account, a traditional account, then can I deduct it for tax purposes? Well, you can make a contribution for yourself. There's something else that's kind of interesting you can do, I think. Let's say you're a married couple and only one person is working. You're allowed to contribute that same $6,000 for yourself, and you can contribute $6,000 for your spouse, even though they're not working. They hmm. can basically uh, bounce off of your income. Hmm. The rules certainly are complicated, and uh, I don't remember them all. I'm glad that you do. Well, some of them I have to look up because they are complicated. But And the other thing you can do, which is kind of interesting, is um, you sometimes can deduct in full from your own IRA contribution. So if you or your spouse, if you're doing it that way as well, are not covered by a retirement plan like a 401k, um, you can contribute to and deduct from uh, what you contribute into an IRA account. It's really confusing. So we'd I'm like sorry, to go over it with you. I think I misunderstood some of that. That's all right. Um, so if you didn't participate in a 401k plan and you contribute to a $6,000 IRA account, let's say, you are able to deduct the full $6,000 from your income tax. But if you are contributing to a 401k, then that's not the case. So if you, it gets a little bit more complicated. So let's say you work for somebody that has a 401k account plan for you. You're contributing to that. But then you also want to put money into an IRA account. Um, you can do that, but it might be limited to the amount that you're making on your gross income on your tax return. Okay. So those rules get complicated, and we're happy to send you that information. We're happy to talk to you about it on the telephone. I was going to say, probably the best thing for people to do is to make a personal appointment to come in and talk with you because everyone's situation is different. Everyone's, yep. Well, it's not only that, but um, the rules are just very complicated. But the important point is... If you are in a position where you're able to make a contribution to a 401k or an IRA, you should really think seriously about doing so um, because it's going to matter to you later. It certainly will. And the earlier you can start, the better. We had somebody last week who just started with a $2,000 account to put into an IRA. It's not a huge amount of money, but they wanted to get started, and I think their age was... 24, 25 years of age. Wow, good so for them. That's a good start to get going. I remember that I was not always good about that. I would have money put aside by an employer, and then if I changed jobs, I usually took that money out of the account because I felt I needed it. As I look back, I wish I had left it where it was. Well, the smartest thing you can do if you have a 401k account with a company and you move to another company is don't automatically roll it over to the new company's 401k account. You don't have to do that. And sometimes you're not allowed to do that, I remember. From well, usually my... you can. Usually your best option if you move to a new company is to take the old 401k account and roll it into an IRA instead. You have a lot better investment choices. Maybe you decide you want to invest a little bit more conservatively and then start out another 401k account with a new company that you're going to work for. Well, more details that people need to come and talk with you about. Right. And then there are different limitations on how much money you can contribute to 401ks. 
I'm not going to go into that. Like I said, the charts are very uh, extensive. If you want to put money into a Roth IRA account also, you have annual contribution limits that are basically the same as traditional. You can put $6,000 into up to, or up to your taxable compensation. Uh, or if you're 50 years of, old, of age or older, you can contribute up to $7,000 to an, a Roth IRA. Remind but, me again. But you don't take a deduction for it. Sorry. Remind me again how a Roth differs from a regular IRA, both when you put it in and when you take it out. Well, basically, it's after-tax money. So you have already paid income taxes on that money because you're not going to get a deduction for it. So when you put money into a Roth, there's a couple of real simple rules. Normally, the money wants to be there for five years before you take anything out. And then when you do, it's not taxable income at all. So you don't pay any income taxes on a Roth when you take the money out. But it needs to be there for five years. There's also some limitations. Not everybody is allowed to put money into a Roth. If your income is above certain thresholds, you might not be eligible to contribute money into a Roth. Or the amount you contribute could be limited. So those get a little complicated also for 2020 and 2021. But other than that, a Roth IRA account can be really neat. Um, and the contribution levels are pretty high. If you're um, a single person, head of household, uh, your income generally wants to be less than $124,000. If you're married filing jointly, then your income generally wants to be less than $196,000 combined. So those, I'm not going to get into that. It's, it's very complicated, but there are some good reasons to do a Roth account, a Roth IRA, because when you take the money out later, it's not going to be income taxable to you. Let's lighten up a little bit. Do you have any quotes? <laughs> lighten up. <laughs> well, um, we could... Uh, we can talk a little bit more about the... the uh, seminars that we are going to be doing, um, particularly the one at White's, and that is on April 21st, both at noon. Which and is a Wednesday. At, yes, a Wednesday at 6 p.m. in the evening. So if you work during the day, there's an evening time available for you or vice versa. And we will be very careful about um how we allow people into that seminar and how we will seat them and so forth. We will be very much spread apart from each other. Yep. You're going to receive uh, material that you'll watch on uh, a slide presentation and lectures, but you're also going to receive some handout information. Right? Right. Well, Will Rogers once said that we could certainly slow down the aging process if it had to work its way through Congress. <laughs> Gosh, you could live forever. Yeah, you could live forever. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, my. So anyways, uh, the one thing you'll always learn about IRAs, 401ks, Roth IRAs, is there's always exceptions to the limits. There are recent changes. For example, it used to be that when it came time to take in money out of your traditional IRA account, you had to start taking money out when you reached 70 and a half. But that's changed now, changed with rules that took place last year in 2020. Now you must start taking money out when you reach age 72. And why do they do that? Because everybody's living longer, right? Right. Of course, the government is not going to be too lenient with all of that because they want their tax money, which has been deferred all those many years on the IRA funds. But they gave us another year and a half anyway. So here's something interesting that Congress also did last year, which was signed into law. It used to be until um, last year, and really in 2019 as well, that uh, not only did you have to start taking money when you were 70 and a half, um, but there were questions, there were issues on who could contribute to it. Uh, you normally could not contribute money into an IRA account once you reached age uh, 70 or, excuse me, 70 and a half. There's no more age restriction at all on contributing 
Oh, I didn't know that. So, so if you're 75, you can still... So you could be 75 years old and put money aside um, into an IRA account. If you're still working at that age, you could theoretically still claim a deduction for it. Wow. If you're not, you could still put money aside and get money into an IRA account and let it grow on a tax-deferred basis. Because once money is in an IRA account, a traditional IRA, it's growing for you. And it's growing for you without paying taxes on it currently. And, of course, you can talk to people about how best to make that growth occur. Generally, that isn't by leaving it in a bank account where the rates of return are probably less than inflation. Um, But that's a topic for another day probably. Yeah, and the Um, rules get complicated. So once you're over 70 and a half, you can now contribute money at any age with no restrictions on how old you are into an IRA. But guess what? Once you're 72, you're still going to have to take money out of an IRA. Right. But the amount that you take out could be less than the amount you're putting in, so you could still pile up cash. Right. Wow. Isn't this interesting, huh? And is it both that you can contribute to an IRA and a Roth or just an IRA? Uh, No, you can do both. Wow. Well, Well, I want to double-check that before I say for sure. Definitely you can do it for a traditional IRA account. The Roth I'm going to double-check on. But there is one other interesting thing that can be done, and then we're going to switch out of IRA accounts because oh, good, there are they so <laughs> many exceptions. Um, you can convert an IRA account, a traditional IRA account, into a Roth. Why would you want to do that? I was just going to ask that question. Well, here's a, here's a reason. Let's say you have a Use an example, a $100,000 IRA account, and you say, you know what? I've got a pension coming in. I've got Social Security. I'm not going to need to take money out of that, but I'm going to have to take money out of it once I'm 72. If I'm never going to need that money to live on, why don't I think about converting it into a Roth IRA and let the money grow? And then whenever I do take money out or my kids get the money or my spouse gets the money, it's not going to be taxable income. So it's a way of saying, you know what, I'm not going to need my traditional IRA to live on. Why don't I convert it? And after a time, I'm not going to have to take any money out, or if I do, I'm not going to have to pay taxes on it. But when you do convert, you have to pay all of the taxes? Exactly. So you've got to pay taxes on it when you convert it. There's some really other interesting tax things that you can do that we won't take the time to go in today without driving everybody crazy. But the government doesn't give you a break for converting from an IRA to a Roth. No. And sometimes if you want to maximize the amount of money that you want to convert, let's say you have that $100,000 traditional IRA and you want to convert the whole thing, the idea would be to pay the taxes on that money from another source. So if you had a savings account and you got to pay more taxes, pay it out of a savings account and let the full amount of the IRA account go fully into the Roth IRA account. And grow. And grow. And it still grows tax-deferred. And then after this five-year period, you're not going to have to pay any taxes on the money at all. Well, Well, Rodney Dangerfield once said, by the way, this is what happens when you study too much taxes. My psychiatrist told me I was crazy, and he said, I said, I wanted a second opinion. He said, okay, you're ugly too. <laughs> I just got that. Okay. <laughs> he also said, I looked up my family tree and found out I was the sap. <laughs> he had some that were slightly dirty that I've used before, but I still like them. Oh, are we going to hear them? It's it's slightly on the fence, Um, Rodney Dangerfield. I I like Rodney Dangerfield. My wife wants sex in the back of the car, and she wants me to drive. (laughs) Yes, I have heard that one before. Told you that before. Yes. Sorry, but he had an interesting little play of, all right, I'm going to put Rodney Dangerfield aside. We're not going to talk about Rodney Dangerfield anymore today. Well, I think people like him. (laughs) Yeah, I think they do, too. So... There's all kinds of interesting rules, and then Congress gets to change them. So 
Last year, under the CARES Act, you didn't have to take your required minimum distributions. Uh, surprisingly, I had probably half of my clients decide not to take any distribution at all. So what that means for those folks who didn't take a distribution last year, it means maybe you don't really need that money after all to live on. And so maybe there's some other things that you could do. How about leaving a legacy, Tenny? Do you ever think it would be nice for you or other people to leave as much as possible to the next generation or to other people? Or to a charity. Or to a charity. So what happens if you didn't need the IRA money to live on? Here's a little trick you could do. You could take your regular required distribution. You're over the age of 72. Let's say it's $10,000. You don't really need the money, so you set aside $2,000 to pay taxes on it. You could take that other $8,000 now, and instead you could buy yourself a life insurance policy. Use that $8,000 net to buy a life insurance policy, and assuming you're healthy and so forth, and you do that on a regular basis, you could buy a much larger death benefit, and then when the recipient receives that money later, the beneficiary, they're not going to have to pay a penny of income taxes on it. And no inheritance tax or anything. Well, inheritance tax is not... If you're thinking about the estate tax, that depends upon the total amount of your estate. Right. No, I mean the the person who receives the life insurance policy is going to receive it essentially tax-free. That's what you were getting at. Yep, correct. Because life insurance proceeds are never taxable. And so that's one thing you could do. Um, We've told people sometimes, you know what, if you want to give money to your children, you want to do gifting, Another time of year to do gifting is when you do your required minimum distribution. If you don't need that money and you've got a fair amount of it, you don't need it to live on, it's a great time to think about making a gift to children or grandchildren or charity or something of that nature. You know, people still get very confused about gifting and the difference between the 15000 annual What's it called? Exclusion. Exclusion versus um, the gift tax, the federal gift tax. Um, Do you want to explain that? Um, Sure. The federal gift tax right now, first of all, there is no Massachusetts gift tax. So if you choose to give away money to, let's say, a, a, a child or a grandchild, they don't pay income taxes on that gift and you don't pay any tax for having made the gift. And if you want to give away a really large sum of money, I don't know anybody who's done that, you can give away roughly $11.5 million to an individual without any gift tax having to be paid on it. And that confuses people because they think that they're limited to the 15000 annual exclusion. No, there's two ways you can take money and give it away and not pay taxes on it. One is the annual exclusion of $15,000 per person. You can double it if you're a husband or wife. You can give away $30,000 to one person. In addition to that, there's a lifetime unified estate and gift tax credit that you can give away. So there's all kinds of ways to give money. And sometimes I'll tell people, you know what, instead of just giving money to a child or a grandchild, Why don't you give them a sum of money if you're inclined to do that and say, I'm giving you some money, but you have to take half of it and put it into a retirement account for yourself. That's an excellent way to teach somebody who's younger than you about putting some money aside for a retirement account. teaches them to start building their own retirement account. And they'll be so grateful when they get to their own retirement age. Yes, they will. Or they could buy insurance on you. They could have an insurable interest to do that. I guess there's one other thing I should say real quickly about contributions to charity. What you don't want to do is to say, you know what, I don't need my required minimum distribution this year, so I'm going to take my minimum distribution, pay taxes on it, then I'm going to give the net money to my charity. Say it's my church, for example. That's not a good tax-efficient way to do it. So what's the alternative? Instead of taking the required minimum distribution, uh, have it go directly to the church. Have the money go directly to the church. So the company would not pay it to you? Yep. 
They would pay it to the church. Yeah, and so you'll get a charitable deduction, but you're not going to pay income taxes on that money. And companies are willing to do that? Not so much company, but individuals will do that. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. So anyways, there's lots of different ways you can give away money and give away money to charity. There are a lot of great charities in our area, everything from the Lloyd Center for Environmental Studies, the the Whaling Museum is our worst world-class museum in this country. Yep. And or they the can use Salvation money. Army or churches. Whale or churches. There are no end of quality um, causes that you could support. Right. So that's the limitation of what I want to talk about today, Tenny. The rest is up to you. Oh, goody, we get off of this <laughs> IRA thing that confuses me all the time. Well, and that's just IRAs we're talking about. There are a lot of rules dealing with um, retirement accounts at work, like 401k accounts. For example, generally you don't take money out of a 401k account until you're 59 and a half. That's a good rule to know, by the way, too. If you're working for a company and you have a 401k or working for a teacher's uh, union or a, a teacher's job and you've got a 403B and you're 59 and a half, you can say, um, I'd like to take some money out of my account right now and not have it simply be in the retirement system that I have at work. I want to put it more conservatively into something. What you can do instead of say, I want to do what's called an in-service distribution. I want to take out money now um, but I'm going to roll it right into an IRA. So you take money out of your 401k or your 403b, and instead you move it over to an IRA, and you've got a much better choice of where to put your money quite often. But you want to be very careful that that rollover goes from the holder of the IRA before, or the, or the 403b, to the holder of the IRA eventually, right? Because you don't want it to go to you. Oh, no. If you if it have it just go to you and you put it in your regular checking account or bank account, you're going to end up paying income taxes on it. Or even if you take it out to yourself and then put it back into an IRA, you'll still end up doing taxes. So Well, you, you the, have to do that within 60 days, and then you don't have to pay taxes on it. You have to be very careful. But the smartest way to do it is if you want to take money from a 401k or 403b and you're 59 and a half, do the in-service distribution. We'll help you. We'll show you how to put some of that into an IRA account. And it's much better if it goes directly from one company to another company. And you can do as many of those transfers as you want in the course of the year with no penalty. Two things tend to continue to amaze me when I talk with clients. One is that they don't really know exactly what they own or where it's serviced or uh, anything like that, or how much they're making, or how much, yeah, all of the, or how much they're paying, or what um, their fees are. Right. People think, well, I'm only paying, you know, a one percent fee, but when you look at what the cost is for the mutual funds, the individual stock transfers back and forth that the mutual com fund companies are doing, the management fee for managing it, you're often paying a lot more than you realize, and it's hard to figure out those fees. And the other thing that amazes me is people at retirement age, continue to be enamored of stock market investments. And they are very risky, and you can lose principal. Uh, but they don't want to move from their investment place. You know, that's, um, a good, that's a really good point, because a lot of people I've talked to, and uh, Peter in particular talks to, um, will find out that, or will say that, you know, I've made a lot of good money recently, and I want to keep it where it's at, but the stock market always, always, always goes in cycles. Right now it's on an up cycle. But if you had something like a boat blocking the Suez Canal, that disrupts trade. If you had some wartime event that took place, that disrupts trade. It disrupts the stock market. We can't always predict those things when they happen. Yep, I had a client this past week, and um, the multi-million dollar um, retirement account that she owned is in the stock market, and she's happy there. And 
I'm I'm pleased that she's happy, but I'm very worried about what could happen if suddenly the bottom falls out. So if a client comes in and meets with Peter, Peter Lance, and says, "What's my uh, riskyhood here? What's what am I likely to be risking? What's my risk factor?" He can do what's called a morning star analysis and determine, based upon your exact portfolio. Um, are you 50% at risk? Are you 90% at risk? And then you can decide for yourself, am I comfortable with that? So there's two issues when it comes to talking about the stock market, I think. One is, yes, it's doing really well at the moment. It's came back, it has come back fairly rapidly from its decline very rapidly last February and March of 2020. But right now it's done really well. So sometimes I'll say to people, why don't you think about locking in some of the gains that you've made, capturing them by rolling the account over into an IRA account instead, and then changing the form of the investment in the IRA into something that's more safe and more protected. I always tell people as a general proposition that once you are close to retirement or you're actually retired, you want to be in things that are less risky because if you retired or you're about to retire, you don't want to have to work an extra five or ten years for the market cycle to go back up again. Maybe you don't have it. Maybe you don't feel like working. So it's a great time to think about taking your gains, locking them in, and then putting them into something that's more safe and more conservative. And one thing I'd like our listeners to um, be sure to know is that if you really don't know where you are or how your money is invested or what kind of an entity you have, please feel free to give Ray's office a call and he can look at your statements and analyze them and say, yep, you're in the stock market 75%. We really should talk about preserving the safety of your principal. So Peter is a licensed professional. He's a licensed securities broker. He has he is a fiduciary, and he always must act in a fiduciary manner, which means he must always put the interest of the clients first. Every once in a while, somebody will say, uh, are you a fiduciary? And they will say, Peter is the fiduciary in the office because he's registered and he's licensed. I'd like to remind everybody at this point, Tenny, that we are going to be doing our first seminars in 15 months. Yes. And we're going to be talking about um, retirement planning and estate planning. Maybe you can go grab a copy of that bulletin that um, Brianna has put together in her office. Well, the, um, the topics for the seminar will be how to protect your family, and how to protect your financial resources for your family. Um, and they will deal, the, the seminar will deal in topics like estate planning, what basic documents should everyone have so that they can say, yes, my family is as protected as possible. And then what kinds of ways should I be looking at my assets to best protect my family financially. So this is going to be at White's of Westport Restaurant. It's going to be on Wednesday, April 21, uh, 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. I suspect that because we plan to cut down the length of those seminars that we're really going to be talking more like an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half. Yes. I mean, it's hard for people to listen longer than that. The one at uh, lunchtime from uh, 12 to 2 is going to have uh, lunch served. It's going to be a box lunch, so it will be very safe and sanitary. We'll, uh, there will be choices to select from and uh, beverages to select from. The one in the evening will start at 6 o'clock. Um, that may or may not be a full dinner. Right now we're planning refreshments and making it a little bit shorter, but we will be serving refreshments. Now, the important thing is if you do want to make a reservation, you must make a reservation because we have to have a count of how many are coming. And what numbers to call, Tenny? If you would like to call our office, our office is, has a number that's pretty easy to remember, 508-998-8800. Or if you're uh, a client or uh, someone who'd like to call through Ray's office, 
His number is 508-998-8858. So similar numbers, we'd be happy to talk with you and let you know what um, availability is still existing for those seminar for that seminar. We've just done some first seminars uh, very recently in our office, but we've limited those specifically only to people who were vaccinated, and we've restricted the number of people who were able to attend. For this one, we're going to be in the largest ballroom at White, so we'll be spread out across the room and be able to move people very far apart. Everybody will be wearing masks. Everybody will be questioned, and, and when they make their reservation, everybody will be tested at the door for thermometers and things like that. So sign up. Come. We'd love to see you. We're excited about getting back to these seminars. I, th- I think we're excited because we have a lot of information in our brains, and we like to help people understand and uh, feel comfortable both about estate planning subjects like wills versus trusts or um, durable powers of attorney for property versus court conservatorships, all those somewhat complex issues. We can hopefully make them understandable for you so you're not afraid of them. And Ray does the same sort of thing with investment uh, opportunities and alternatives. People tend to like our seminars because they are straightforward and uh, not a lot of guff and uh, information that is straightforward and easy to understand. I like the word guff. I haven't heard the word guff in a long time. I know. Where'd that come from? I don't know where that came from. Somewhere in my brain. Well, Thomas Edison once said, there's a way to do it better. Find it. That's what we want to show you. There's a better way to do your estate plan. There's a better way to handle your investments as a way to protect your family better and as a way to protect your money better. Yes. So if you'd like to join us at that, um, on that day at either of those events, come with your uh, questions. We will try to time, find time to answer them or we will be happy to um, sign you up for an appointment with us at our office because our Initial appointments do not have any charge. Um, so come and join us. Are you April gonna be talking twenty first? Are you gonna be talking a little bit about different ways to protect assets from the nursing home also? Are you gonna talk a little bit about that? Very little because it's a complicated subject, but we will make distinctions whenever we can and, and give you some basic info, yes. Okay. And um The Dalai Lama once said, be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. I think think he is probably somebody that I would emulate. I I know he's um, certainly related to a particular religion, but my goodness, he is always uh, serene and smart. Well... Growing old is something that we can't avoid, but growing older is not something that we have to do. Isn't that right? Very true. Have to keep a positive attitude. Keep moving. Keep thinking. Keep using your brain. All those things. Let's switch gears for just a minute and talk about some ways that you can use the equity in your retirement plan. So first of all, um, I know, Tenny, when you're recommending things to people and helping somebody with their estate plan, one of the things that you always do is make sure there's a homestead on record, right? Declaration of homestead? Yes. Um, It's a Massachusetts law that if you put on record, and that means registered at at the registry of deeds, that you can protect a certain portion or all of the equity in your home. The basic law is that if you don't put a homestead on record, you get 125,000 of equity protection. But if you do put a homestead on record, you get $250,000 of equity protection. And if you turn 62 and put what the legislature lovingly called an elderly homestead on record, you can protect 
$500,000 worth of equity in your home. So what does that protect you from? Unfortunately, not taxes or Medicaid. Lawsuits, car accidents, things of that nature. But right, all of those other sorts of things. Or heaven forbid if bankruptcy entered your life at some point for some reason, it would protect your home from being lost to the bankruptcy court. So if you don't have a homestead on your house, then you're making a really bad mistake and they're very inexpensive to do. Right. And it's it's like having a very inexpensive liability insurance policy on your house. Right. We tell people it's the cheapest insurance you you can spend money on. So, Tenny, what's home equity? Home equity is really just the amount of ownership you have in your house. You can calculate it really quickly. What's your house's fair market value and subtract the amount of your mortgage. Right. Plus any other liabilities like a home equity loan. And you if have $100,000 left in your mortgage and your house appraises for 300000 you've got $200,000 of equity. You want to protect that with a homestead. And yep. um, anyway... Two-thirds of the country for a householder who have a house, if they're at least 65 years of age, most of their net worth comes from their home equity. So you want to protect it. It's critical. Absolutely. The other thing I've always told people over the years, and I'm basically explaining this to you listening, is that before you retire, if at all possible, put a home equity line or loan on your house. Costs a little bit of money to set it up, but now it's like having this equity line. They call it a HELOC, home equity, home equity line of credit. So if you suddenly have an emergency or if you have to draw down $500 a month to live on, that's how you can use your equity to live on. It's one good way, isn't it? Yes. And as Ray was saying, it's important to get that put on or available to you at an age when the bank will still do so. So you want to be still working, ideally. Ideally, yes. You've got income coming in to support the home equity line. Right. Other than that, you don't have to draw money down. It can sit there just as a line of equity. So if you need it, it's there. And you don't have to pay on it if you don't use it. But if you don't draw money down, you don't have to pay interest payments on it. Right. So we always recommend that. We're happy to suggest some good sources to you for doing that. Most banks will do that. It gives you a great deal of flexibility. How about a reverse mortgage, Tenny? What if somebody has a house that's paid off, but the only income they have is Social Security and not a lot more? They've retired. They don't have a pension. Maybe they could use the equity in their house to live on as well. Yes, I know that reverse mortgages generally have uh, a bad vibe for people because of some ways that they were advertised or applied in the past. But times have changed and reverse mortgages have come become um, a, a real lifesaver for uh, many older people. A reverse mortgage is nothing more than you're making use of the equity that is sitting in your home in order to produce some income for you or to pay off a large debt that is difficult otherwise for you to pay. So that's a good point. You could do a reverse mortgage then and pay off credit card debt or other debts or car payments. Right. And now you're not going to have those payments in retirement. If you have credit cards that are uh, having rates of 25 29%, and you can do a reverse mortgage on your home for 3% or thereabouts, my goodness, what a lot of money you can save. Yeah, probably more like 4 4.5% 4.5% today Maybe for yep. a reverse mortgage, Whatever. a little bit higher than regular bank rates. Yeah. But then but, you don't have to let it build up if you don't want to. How old do you have to be to do the reverse mortgage, Tenny? 62. Okay. So 62 and older, your house gets appraised, and then typically you might be able to borrow roughly 50% of the equity value in your house. And you don't make any payments on that, and that is what is so remarkable for people to understand. You don't make any payments on what you draw. Unless you want you, to. Unless you want to. And you don't pay interest if you haven't drawn anything. To, to some extent, it's like a home equity loan. Um, 
I know that people are concerned about what might happen to that loan after you're deceased and you want to pass the home on to your children. But remember, you're only going to be able to take out a loan probably in the range of 50%. So that gets paid off upon your death, and your children still inherit the remaining 50% of your property. And sometimes if the numbers work out right, We've helped people do the reverse mortgage and then take out a life insurance policy as well. Right. And then use the life insurance policy to pay off the reverse mortgage. But the thing is, you don't have to take the money out immediately. You don't have to take the money out as a lump sum. You can take the money out as a monthly payment over time and have it automatically put into your bank account. So, for example, let's say your your budget says you're short $500 a month over and above your Social Security. You could say... I want to draw down another $500 a month from my reverse mortgage. That would last a pretty long time for you and supplement your income. Yep. And you wouldn't have to move into an apartment or a more expensive house. Yeah, people think that maybe they ought to sell their house and do a rental. But remember, a rental means you have to pay every single month. (laughs) Yeah, the last thing I'd mention really quickly about the reverse mortgages is that most of them are insured by the uh, FHA. Mm-hmm. and they have very strict guidelines. You can't take out a reverse mortgage unless you go through independent counseling. Right. Your house has to be appraised. Uh, the cost of the closing have to be reviewed. So there's just lots and lots of built-in requirements. Not for everybody, but it's a way of allowing your house to be used, your house equity to be used for you if you need it. So, Tenny, as we wrap up today, I simply want to say, ask yourself this question. What are you doing to protect your family? What are you doing to protect your money? If it's important to protect your family, then you need to take some action. Give us a call. Make a reservation to go to one of our seminars we're going to be doing on Wednesday, April 12th, 12 to noon or 6 to 8. Uh, Did I say 12? I said the 12th. Sorry. I'm reading my numbers backwards because I'm looking at 12 to 2. On Wednesday, April 21 is our seminars. There'll be refreshments served, um, entertainment. No, you're the entertainment, right? Oh, I might be. Depends. (laughs) Depends on how I'm feeling that day. Mostly we want to thank you for listening. Make some calls, take some action, do something to protect your family. And thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. 